Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Shar McCollum with the Shar McCollum Real Estate Group in Olathe, Kansas. Last year, she closed 173 transactions with a total sales volume of $31 million. Her average sales price was $181,000, of which 50% were buyers and 50% were sellers. Shar also manages 126 rental properties with 82000 in gross monthly rents. She has a 13-member team, three buyer specialists, two listing specialists, one inside sales associate, one closing transaction coordinator, one marketing manager, two rental property managers, one property acquisition manager, one virtual assistant, and one team leader. Shar McCollum is the team leader of the Shar McCollum Real Estate Group. She's been an agent for 37 years. In her best year, 2004, Shar sold 210 homes worth $35 million. She's sold over 3,500 homes in her career. In this call, Shar talks about being a part-time agent for her first 10 years in real estate, how she generates 80% of her business by repeating referrals from her past clients and sphere of influence, her past client annual marketing plan, why she likes events and giveaways, the two-hour event that cost $2,400 and brought in $70,000 in GCI, why you need to tell a story in your marketing, her super simple referral script that works, why you need a success book, working with bulk investors, starting a property management division, the LP Mama buyer qualification system and scripts, her referral brokerage, team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Shar. Well, hello. How are you? I'm great, Shar. Thank you for joining us. Shar, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Oh, my gosh. I actually graduated from college and took a, a position at Hellsburg Diamonds as their office manager. And I'm a person, so I really didn't like getting into that day-to-day office work. But what they did for me is they gave me the opportunity to sell credit. So I would take the applications for people wanting to purchase diamonds, and I would go to the loan companies and sell the papers and why they should to finance these people on these diamonds. So that excited me. So I knew sales was my forte. And when I had my first child, I said, retail, I'm done. And so I went into real estate. How did you choose real estate? Well, my parents had gotten into it. They had moved down to Kansas probably a couple of years earlier. And probably, uh, I think it was about eight months later, I got into it. Before that, I graduated from college as a music major, so you can imagine the diversity I've had. What instrument did you play? 
voice. Ah, singing. Singing. I was a singer, yeah. But I didn't want to suffer for my art. Well, Char, when you got into the business, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I had a slow start. I got into it working part-time. You're not as productive, but I also was in an industry here that, you know, if you did $3 million a year, you were a top producer in our area. And I'm going, okay, I can do that. I did a million part-time. And then I heard this gentleman speak, and he said it was a glass ceiling, and you can do anything you want. And all of a sudden, I pushed through the ceiling and said, I can do it. And I started treating it as a business. You said you started out part-time. How long before you went full-time? Ten years. What took so long? I didn't really, I kind of rode on my parents' coattails. I didn't really run it as a business. And so it was just like a hobby type job. So I I went there and decided that, you know what, I really want to go to this full-time. My kids were in the car more than they were in the house anyways, because I couldn't stay still. So put them in the car and started doing business. Well, Shar, how long have you been in the business now? How many years? 37 years. And how many homes did you sell last year? Last year, we sold 173. This year, my goal is 300. But to do that, I had to add some more people and put some systems, more systems in place. Last year, when you sold 173 homes, do you recall the sales volume? 31 million. How many homes did you sell in your best year, and what year was it? It was 2004, and I sold 210 homes worth $35 million. Do you know how many homes you've sold in your career? It's over 3,500. I added it up one year, and I think it's getting closer to four. Could you please tell everyone, where is Olathe, Kansas? Olathe, Kansas. It's the southwest suburb of Kansas City. We're in the affluent county of Johnson County, but Olathe is more of the county seat. It's more of the traditional town. It's where the three trails meet to go west for the pioneers. It's a a great community, great family community. Do you know the population there? About 129,000. Could you describe your current real estate market? Our average price actually is going on. I did the numbers today just to see where the market's doing. And the average price right now is 235000 Last year it was about 190. So it is up, it's going up. Now our inventory is starting to drop. So that means prices are going to continue to climb. We have average days in the market right now is 37. We have entry to middle homes. We have a few luxuries, but most people are not spending luxury dollars here in Olathe. They're going elsewhere. Do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? You know, I looked at that when I got into real estate as far as when I decided I was going to treat this as a business. And some people will take neighborhoods. Some people will take luxury homes. Some people will take, you know, condos. I chose to take the city, so I went to an Olathe because I knew that the starter home is going to feed into the next one. The next one's going to feed into the next level, and so I wanted to have that diversity because if anything ever crashed, 
I didn't want to be stuck with no business. I wanted to have enough diversity in there. So I serviced the whole community of Olathe. The funny story is Olathe was looked down on by most of Johnson County realtors back 20 years ago. They always said they called it Olathe. It's called the city of uh, duplexes. Well, I was on a call probably about five years ago, and we were talking about markets, and I said, well, I do Olathe. And a few agents popped up, and they said, oh, she's got the good market. And I go, boy, time sure changes things. <laughs> because at one point, they didn't think it was great, but I worked the market that I liked and I loved and I lived in, and that's where I'm happy, and I've grown my business from that. Let's talk about how you're generating your business. Let's talk about your past clients, your sphere of influence, repeat and referrals. I believe that's around 80% of your business. Let's dive into that. First of all, how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Well, if I looked at the whole database, it's probably about 5,000, but I don't email or mail to all of them. I've dripped that down to about 1,800. How many of those 1,800 are past clients? I would say 70% are past clients, and the other 30% are orphan clients. I've always adopted the other realtor's client when they buy my listing. So that's in that mix. Then I also have my sphere of influence, which basically people I've served on committees with, community leaders. I've done a lot with my community, been chairman of the Chamber of Commerce twice, on the police board, you name it. If it's a community event, I get involved, and those leaders go on my list. Shar, you mentioned that you've adopted orphan clients. Define what the orphan client is, and then tell us how you pulled them into your fold. Well, after closing, I know the address of the house they bought, and I have their names. They go onto the list, the mailing list, and they get everything my past clients do. I have been listing more and more houses from orphan clients because their agent has forgotten them. In fact, they can't even tell me after about a year who their agent was because they're not following up with them. Now, I've had on the rare occasion, if a fellow realtor called me up and said, Shard, don't email to my clients anymore, or don't mail to my clients anymore, I respect that. Because I don't see other realtors as my competition. They're my customers. And I want to make them happy so they would come to my product, come to my store. My store is my inventory of listings. And they won't shop my store unless they can trust me and trust my product. So if we were to define an orphan client, it's the co-op client, the co-op customer, the customer on the other side of the table from you. Do you adapt or adopt all of the customers on the other side of the table, or do you pick and choose? 100%. All in. You said it's pretty rare for you to have a problem with the other agent because they've disappeared. Yeah, um, I could probably name you two in 20 years. Shar, how are you tracking all these people? What type of software are you using? I'm using Top Producer. That's my database. That's my lifeblood. That's everything. My systems are all in there. 
You also mentioned that your total database is 5,000, but you've pared it down to 1,800. What's the difference between the 1,800 and the 5,000? Well, the difference is I will get postcards back that they've moved. Well, that right away tells me they fired me because I'm no longer their family realtor. So they go off the mailing list or they've had a change of address. I know I got fired. The other is they moved out of town and they don't want to get that day-to-day mailing stuff. They might get the occasional once a year Christmas card, things like that, but they don't want to come in for the drawing for the free dinner at Applebee's. So it all depends on the situation, how they get determined if they're out of that day-to-day mailing list. And let's go into that now, how you stay in front of these past clients and sphere of influence. You've mentioned mail, you've mentioned some postcards. Let's, let's break that down. If someone were to look at your marketing plan over the course of a year to these folks, tell us, what are you doing for them? We make a plan in uh, December, because remember, this is a business and you have to have the business plan. And so we implemented the marketing touches to our clients. We choose once a month for a, a mailed or emailed or an event. So, for example, in April is our shredded event, and that's been huge. I get calls all the time. People calling me and say, hey, when is your event this year? They come in. We have a truck that comes to our office. They shred all the documents. Last year, we started having electronics disposal, which is certified safe way to get rid of your computers. They clean all your old data off of it, take old TVs, all those big giants that we no longer use anymore, those big boxes that you had in your living room. So we took all of those. That's an event that we have, and it's well-received. And I get listings off of that because it gives us an opportunity at that time to connect with these clients. We're talking to them, hey, how's your family? What's going on? And that's where we usually hear oh, we're getting ready um, to downsize or, you know, my husband died and we're just getting rid of all the stuff and I need to sell. So last year we, we made some good income off of that. The event brought me four listings, two buyers. That was six transaction. I brought in $70,000 for a cost of 2400 That's a great return on investment. It really is. All it took was my time for two hours on Saturday. Are there other events that you're doing throughout the year? We do the high giveaway, thanks to Leslie McDonald's. I learned about that idea several years ago, and we've been doing it ever since. We've been giving out between 200 and 250 pies a year. It Once again, we have them come into the office this time. We take pictures of it. We post them on Facebook. We're able to talk to our clients One year we had the brilliant idea, okay, we're going to have all these guys like us on Facebook and Twitter and Zillow so that we can get our rankings up. And we had them do that. And they all did it. They loved it. But my movement never went up. We finally found out that because it came from the same URL, even though they logged in themselves, it was the same URL, they did not recognize that as solicited recommendations. They thought you were just making them all up. Yeah, so 
we stopped doing that. So now on every one of our pies, we have a little label on there that says, if you appreciate the pie, we appreciate you. Just go in and, and recommend us on Zillow, and we give them the address and tell them how to do it. You're getting a lot of folks that are going in then to recommend you online? It's not as much as when they were here in my office. After they've eaten the pie, they have kind of have that uh, pie uh, loss of memory. <laughs> sure. How much does that pie giveaway cost you each year, and what kind of return are you seeing out of it? Well, once again, it's it's similar return as the shredded event. I get the listings. I get the buyers. Here's the big thing, though, on it. This is where I cement the orphan buyers because they are so overwhelmed and thankful about the pie. They get a chance to come in and meet me then, and then they start feeling that connection. The cost of the pies, they range anywhere from $7.99 to $12.99. Now, where I get my pies is Sam's Club, and one of the managers there, he can't discount for me, but what he always does is give me a real nice gift certificate back. So it pays to have relationships. Are there any other events that you do throughout the year? You got the shredded event, the pie event? In August, we're doing a school supply giveaway. September, we're doing Old Settlers Day, which is a, a big event in our community. It's a parade and carnival and things like that. October, we're giving vendor coupons to the pumpkin patch. December, we're giving AMC movie tickets giveaway. March is a pot of gold gift basket drawing. So we're just constantly sending out things and engaging them to contact us back. Each of these events that you just mentioned, are you giving out a certificate to everyone or are you entering them in a raffle? It's some of them in are raffles, but here's what I do give away to everyone is we send out, I'll go to a local restaurant or a service provider. For example, we have a local Mexican restaurant here. I got them to give me a free espinaca cheese dip, and then that goes to them. They bring my card in, and they get their free cheese dip. Now, what happens is when I went into the restaurant, I said to the bartender, I said, so how many cards are you getting on this? She says, your cards are, are outnumbering our advertised marketing cards. People are coming in with my cards to get that free dip. And then I have a local carpet cleaner, and he gives them 10% off. And so we send out. And with those postcards, it's, it's all about my brand and my logo and everything. But then I tell a story. For example, when I was losing weight, I, I used that as the Mexican restaurant. I said, this restaurant helped me so much. When I go in, they prepared the food that I needed the way I needed it so that I could accomplish my goals. And so we do some kind of a story with the vendor recommendation. So they love it because now the best form of a business is a recommended form. Sounds like you're sending out postcards to your past clients once a month. Is that correct? Yes. There are going to be some kind of either event or giveaway or raffle associated with those cards. So they have a sense of value to them. Is that correct? That is correct. I, I only do value-oriented marketing. Nobody wants to get postcards about how great the realtor is or how many houses they sold. They want something in it, and especially in today's world, they want to know what's in it for them, 
what you're doing and giving back to the community, stories like that. For example, I just now posted on Facebook, I found out about a homeless family. So I went to the Facebook to all of my past clients and said, hey, I've got these people here. I would love to help them. They are in need of this, 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 and this. We got everything they needed. They were able to move into a place within one week. They heard the story from me, and, and I had the mayor's wife. I had the superintendent of schools chime in. Even the sheriff of the county donated to this event because he saw it on my Facebook page. So you're reaching out into the community. You're offering something of value or a cause to get behind. You're doing that through mail once a month. You said email. Are you also emailing once a month? Yes, I'm also emailing. So we're saving costs. Sometimes we'll do one, one and one. Like one of the cards, like the one I want them to take into the restaurant so all the waiters can see it and the customers and clients can see it. That will be a mailed piece. But the carpet cleaner guy, I do that by email because it's only going to be him seeing it. So what is the biggest bang for your buck is what you're looking for. And how do you engage people? Do you basically send out then six postcards per year and six emails per year? Yes. Then we also send out every door direct target mailings. We'll talk about the market there in the general area. We'll talk about looking for something, looking for houses. Every door direct, is that going out to your sphere of influence or is that going out more as a general marketing piece, say to a geographic farm? It is by zip code or not, or carrier routes, I should say, within a zip code. They're not my past clients. They're just a mass mailing to the market. Shar, are you also calling your past clients? Oh, Absolutely. We do that once a year. We just follow up to see where they're at. And, and we, with a big enough list, it does take us time to do it. We, we break it down between months and we then call them. When you make that phone call, what are you saying? What's the script or dialogue that you're using when you call your past clients? I'm going, hi, Joe and Mary. This is Shar. I'm just checking up to see how everything's going. What's happening in your world? How's your house? And then we usually end up, we'll have a dialogue, a conversation. They'll talk about the kids going away to college or they'll talk about their dog. It just depends on what I have for notes about them. We'll talk about it. The notes from the contact that I have in Top Producer. We'll talk about that. And then at the end of the call, I'll usually end up by saying, hey, if you know of anybody else who's looking to buy or sell, give them my name. Or better yet, why don't you tell me who it is, and I'll give them a call and say you referred me. Do you often then receive a referral at that time, or have you just planted the seed? Sometimes I receive the referral, and, and sometimes I'll get the name and number to call them. And sometimes I said, you know what, I heard somebody in my office is talking about it. I'm going to go back. And, and tell them about it. And I will have people call me and say, hey, Joe and Mary told me to call you. And I'll go, great. And then we send Joe and Mary a thank you gift. It's usually to the restaurant, $25 gift certificate, saying thank you for recommending us. Your objective is to make those phone calls once a year. How do you do that systematically? Do you have a certain number of calls that you want to make either each day or each week? 
it's not me just calling. It's my whole team that is calling, too. But their goal is to send out five note cards a day, five days a week, and they're also supposed to be making 10 calls a day to past clients. Now, I did hire at one time a virtual assistant here last year to make those calls. It did not work out so well because they couldn't engage them the same way I could or the same way one of the agents could. And you said you also require, did you say handwritten cards? Yeah. I went and got note cards that goes in an envelope. Um, the agents are supposed to be sending out five cards a day. They turn them in to me every day, and I put the stamps on and mail them out so I know that it's being done. And in those cards, it could be anybody. It could be a, a waitress that they saw serving them, or it could be one of their past clients or one of their leads, or it could be a lender thanking them for all that they've done. It's just sending out five cards touching people. Shar, you mentioned you have these events, the shredded event, the pie giveaway, where you're you're bringing a lot of people together at one time. At that point, are you asking for referrals directly, or are they happening more organically? I'm asking for them when I'm talking to them. And the script you're using? For example, at the shredding event, somebody just last year, somebody was bringing in all of their stuff, and it looked like a lot of stuff. And so we just started engaging and say, "Hey, what's going on? You know, um, how's everything happening here?" you know, in your world, and how's your house, and things like that, and one of the guys says, well, you know, my wife just died, and so I'm uh, needing to sell, and I said, great, do you want me to come over and set a time for you, to meet with you, and it's a closed assumption, and and he said, yeah, I can, okay, I can go next week, how's Tuesday work, I mean, I just went right there, closed for the appointment. I like that script that you're using. You've mentioned it twice now. There's two questions that you're asking. One is, what's happening in your world? And the second is, how's your house? Mm-hmm. Because I sold them their house. And a lot of times, it's either, most of the time I say home. I've been, I just said house to you. But most of the time it's home because it's their home. But when I want them to move and I hear that they're moving, I will revert to house because I no longer want to have an emotional tie to it. Does that make sense? Yes. I have to move them out of their home and into their house in order to, for them to be freed up to sell it. And so you start using different language to make it less personal with the word home. You use the word house to make it more objective, to make it more of a transaction, to get their mind around the fact that it's no longer uh, where they live. That is correct. There's empowering language out there, and, and that's one of the keys that new agents could learn, is to learn the DISC, how to talk to different people in the language that they want, and also to understand the empowerment of the words you use and sometimes don't use. Silence is great. You use silence in your negotiations? Oh, yeah. Sometimes the, the first person to speak loses in negotiations. And I can tell you it's one of the hardest things to do, especially for a salesman. Shard, do you also pursue referrals from other agents? You know, honestly, I'm in Kansas City. You know, we don't get, I don't see that many. 
that come in. I know they come in, but usually they're corporations or they're through the Caldwell Banker to Caldwell Banker or Remax to Remax. I get it through CRS, through a lot of my realtor friends throughout the country. Then they will send me referrals, but I don't spend a lot of money pursuing referrals from other agents. Now, if I was in Florida or California where you see more of these buyers coming through or even into a resort area, I would probably do more referral-based marketing. Well, Char, for any agents listening to us that are interested in improving their repeat and referrals from past clients and sphere of influence, do you have any advice on how they should pursue it? Anything that we haven't talked about? You know, other than set a budget and set a plan, you are the target of a lot of promotional salespeople when you don't have a budget already set up. So when they call you and give you their greatest idea that you need to do, you jump on it and then you're broke. Get a plan, stick with the plan, know what your budget is. As you can see, I don't always spend a lot of money. Just picking up the phone, talking to people, sending the postcards, sending the note cards to them is worth a lot in marketing and exposure. Shari, I know that you're also opening up another area of business right now. You're working more and more with investors and property management. Could you tell us a little bit about why you decided to go that direction and what your objectives are there? The opportunity arose in 2007. I had a major investor. He had 104 units, duplex units, that he wanted me to sell, and then he wanted me to manage it. I hated investors. I did not like working with them because they were never loyal. And then I also didn't want to deal with renters. I didn't like dealing with all the renters and all the calls and all that kind of stuff. So I fought it. I said, no, I'll take your listing, but I don't want to be your manager. Well, in the process of of listing it, I found out his management was causing me not to be able to sell him because it had such poor numbers. So talk to me again about managing it. And I said, okay, I will do it for this, this, and this, and this. And I made these pretty abundant terms for me so that hoping he would say no. He said yes. So what we ended up doing is raising his monthly income from 34000 a month up to $63,000 a month. So we increased that, and we started increasing the quality of his properties. And we are still have him. He, he's not ready to sell them yet because the income is very good. Now, guess what happened in 2008? 2008, we all crashed. Well, now I had this rental income coming in that was making my payroll for the company. And so there was no way I wanted to give up that relationship. And so we kept improving on it. And I go, okay, with this bulk of people, what else can I do? And so I started reaching out to some of my friends. I don't take on a lot of small investors. They're too... Like, I have an occasional client that wants me to rent their house. I'll do it for them, but I throw up every month on it because they can't afford not to have their payment, and 
when you have that kind of stress, you put stress on everybody. And so I don't like to deal with that, but I service my clients, so I'll help them. But most of mine are bulk investors, and that's where you, you want to do that. And you do that through relationships. Through my relationships, I was able to then have a success book. A success book is when you can show investors that come to you your, your story about how you've made money for other people and how you have increased their net worth based on this and based on doing this. So then I got into another investor who was a past client. I had his father's house houses listed. His father was a builder until he retired, and then he was out of the business for, oh, 15 years, and he came back into my world, and, and um, I learned he, he became the CEO of one of the largest companies in Kansas City. And through that, he started taking and investing. He wanted to have a family business. So for his family, he's created this investment group. And we are starting to flip houses. And with my help, he's had a great return on investment. That's one of the tools I show other potential clients is what I can do to make them loyal to me is that they don't want to risk not succeeding. That might sound arrogant, but it's true. I make sure I put everything in place that they can get the right information. For example, I'll prepare a performance for them. We created a document that helps us do a, a spreadsheet. Okay, if the value is this, future value is this, and we're going to put this much into it, and you want this 25% return, this is what we pay for the property. So we do that up front. And then we also go through the property with another program my son created. It's a check the boxes. Okay, does it need a new roof? Is it a new roof replacement? Is it a repair or is the roof good? And if I check any one of those boxes, it defaults to a figure. So then I'm able to come up with all the costs that's going to be associated to rehab this house. So when do you make your profit? It's when you buy it. So that's what we're gearing everything towards and showing them how we can buy it cheaper, what we need to pay for it, so they know that they can get a good return on their investment. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. What I picked up there was you are working with bulk owners, people who own multiple units. Does that mean that you're only working with people that are owning single-family homes, or are you also working with investors who want to buy apartment buildings? Both. I'm doing all of those. The one investor, we've broken down his portfolio goals to single-family homes. We have also done apartments. And we're also doing flipping. Now, flipping is a townhome. We, we can do that. It just has to make financial sense. The other thing, if you want to go back, you know, into our property management situation, we have a website, and if people want to go to it, they can take a look at it. It's KansasCityHomeRent.com. And on there, it's a site that the tenants can go in there and, and give maintenance requests. They can go in there and apply for a unit to rent. 
they can make an appointment to go see the property to rent. Our owners can go in and look at all the time, what is the income we received, what is the maintenance that's being done on the property. It just depends on how the owner has set up his structure within our structure. For example, one of my investors, they want to do all the maintenance, so when I get a maintenance request, I just forward it over to their maintenance department, and they do it, and they do it through my website. Did you design the website, or are you contracting that through someone else? I contracted through someone else. It's through appfolio.com. In Appfolio, the tenants are able to pay their rent online. They can go to a 7-Eleven with cash, and they take this barcode that we send to them when they say they're going to 7-Eleven to pay by cash, and it, it scans it in and goes right to the owner's account. And it's all being tracked. It's all being tracked, and there's not a fee. The fees for the credit cards, the fees for everything is being charged to the tenant. And that's done through Appfolio. Let's step back for a second to give people a perspective of what you've built up here. How many properties do you currently have under management? 126. Do you know what the total monthly rental is that's coming in on all 126 properties? 82185 a month. So if you annualize that, you're talking about a million dollars a year in rent. Right. Do you think that you're going to expand this, or do you think that it was just something for the time because the market was the way it was? Well, I am going to expand because that is my investor's plan. The one investor, she wants to buy 40 more rental properties, and her goal is high-end rentals. So we'll be having some nice rentals. Her average rent is around $1,500, $1,600 a month, up to 2000 Then we have another investor. His goal is for 100 So we're expanding. And that's why this past year I went to that website in Appfolio so that I have it more systematized and more manageable for data entry and for doing my reports for the owners. How are you finding these bulk investors, these people who either already own you know, 40, 50, 100 units or want to own that many units you know, rather than an investor who just has one property and, and that's all they really want to do? How are you finding these bulk investors? Through relationships that have got to get out to the, your community, get involved with the local politicians, get involved with the businesses, get involved with the Chamber of Commerce, your church, your social clubs, meet people because Everybody wants to talk about real estate, and that's how I got my investors, is that I actually asked for them. You know, in conversations, they started talking about it, and that's where I engaged them. Back in the operational side, Shar, are you personally managing these properties, or do you have some staff people helping you with that? Until this year, I only had one property manager, but she was getting overworked, So I brought on the second person, and that second person works half the time right now in property management, and she was so great on the phone and everything that I also made her a part-time ISA, which is an 
in-office sales associate. She made calls for the for us for the lead generation. The business in its current form with 126 units, full-time property manager, a part-time property manager, has this been profitable? Oh, yeah. If you do those numbers, if I'm bringing in 82185 a month, you times that by 7%, that tells you what I'm making each month. So if I'm bringing in, and I think I did the number here, and it's $5,700 a month, my expenses is 2500 a month. That's a good return. How do you charge the investor for these services that you're providing? You have a 7% per month management fee. Uh, what other fees are you charging? Half the first month's rent are finding the tenant, and that's about it. But it still is a good return. And, and if you remember when I first started this out, that was something I needed to survive. So that money was consistent during the downturn in the market during the Great Recession. Right. And here's the thing that we always have to remember. You have to be open to opportunities. Just don't reject them based on past experiences or based on perceived experience. If I would have said no, you might not have a Sharma Collin real estate group. So you have to look at, everyone has to look at what is their opportunity that they're maybe saying no to that's going to affect their future business. Now, some things you need to say no to. You know, some things you need to say no to is when a salesman calls. I don't even take those calls anymore because I'm a sucker to buy things. This is really interesting. This developed, as you said, you you pushed away property management for a long time. You had a a bulk investor with 107 duplexes who said, hey, I want to sell, but you couldn't sell them because they were poorly managed. You took over the management, doubled the rents. Now the investor wants to hold on to the property, so you continued to property manage. And by doing that and getting in the business, you're now starting to bump into people. You said one investor who wants to buy 40 homes, another person who wants to buy 100 homes. So you're now not only getting the management, you're also picking up sales business. Oh, yeah. That sales business is awesome because I'm, I'm helping them purchase the property. I'm identifying the properties for them. I take it to them. We take the formula that they've given to me. And then I, a lot of times I'll say, okay, we need to buy this and this. They said, go make the offers. And so I'll do it. And, and they sometimes never even see the property until the due diligence period. Because I have that relationship that I've proven myself so much with them and I would never have them buy something if it wasn't good for them just to make a commission. So they now have total trust in my recommendations. A lot of that comes from the integrity of doing what's right, not doing things based on needs, your desire to have money, but what is the truly the right thing for the client. I assume a lot of that trust not only comes out of the relationship, but the fact that you're showing you're showing hard facts and information. You, you told us you put together the pro forma on that property for them, where you're showing them what the current rents are and values, what the future rents and values will be. How did you learn how to put together the pro forma? 
I actually took a course when I decided to get into all this. I took a course, the CIAS designation, and I learned so much in that course on how to develop these systems and how to identify and how to understand that lingo that investors talk about. So we created this Performa document. I knew what we needed to see, and so then we would look at it. Now, what's really hard for me on future values is that I have to look at the past. Someone once said this to me. He said, looking at the future prices is like driving the car down the road with a muddy front windshield, and you have to drive based on looking in your rearview mirror. Today's world, it's driving down the freeway with that same dirty windshield, and you're going so fast, it's really hard to keep up with it. Now we're projecting out about 10% over market value with one of my investors because of all the quality of upgrades that he brings to the house when he is finished rehabbing it. That sounds to me like that's part of your flipping business. You said earlier you're also working with investors who are buying and flipping properties. Right, but it's the same people. It's one of the same people. I have probably about four investors that I trust enough to work with flipping. Because if I don't trust it, my name is on that sign and it's on that house. And if they don't do the right things in their rehab, I don't want to go to court. So I have to have a level of trust in the flipper, knowing that they will do things the right way. Shard, for your property management division, do you have an objective for how many, say, rental properties that you want to get up to? Do you have a a goal, a big picture goal for how big you want to take that thing? Well, my investor has given me the goal. I'm open to anything. I'll bring people on to make it work. I'll bring systems in that will make it work. So if the opportunities arrive to add in a thousand, I'm going to add in a thousand. You've brought it up a minute ago, and I want to switch gears now. You start to talk about your team. I'd like to move over and talk about your team now. If you could do us a favor, if you could list out all the folks on your team. I'm small but mighty. That's what I tell everybody here in my town. I don't need to have 15, 20 agents doing it. We're all a team, and they're all focused in on doing their jobs. So I have three buyer specialists, two listing specialists, one inside sales, one virtual assistant, one closing transaction manager, one full-time property rental, and one part-time property rental. And then I have that property acquisition manager who is basically going out and looking for my investment properties. He is searching the market. He is searching properties are there. He also is able to create the, the vision to the client so on a property. And what that means is that we all watch the property brothers and you can see how they choose which house they're going to do based on their, their renderings of what it could look like. Well, my property acquisition manager has that capability, and so he creates that, and he creates that vision for my client, but more for his banker and for the appraisers. So we're able to then do that function. He's also able 
to take those drawings to the architects to do the the proper drawings for our building permits. And then there's me that just is the team leader, the the rainmaker, I should say, and I do a lot of bringing in the business, networking with people. I hold the the team accountable. For example, I meet every Friday the rental department. We meet for an hour. We go over why is this vacant? What is our rental numbers? Where's the money here? Where was the what was the repairs that were needed? So we're tracking that. I meet with the agents. We have sales meetings. We have daily huddles where we just kind of talk. But we're a small enough office that we don't really need the the structure of, okay, it's 8.45, time to have our team huddle. It's more of a, I'm going up to them, talking to them, or if I go into the sales side of the office and have conversations, where are you at, what's happening, who are you working with, what challenges have you seen, is there any scripts that you need to run by me? Is there any objections that you want me to help you with? That's what my job is, is to make sure that the team has all the tools to be successful. And we're a team. We keep stressing the team. We work together. One cannot function without the other. The sales side needs the admin side, and we stress that. And we compensate both. So every month, the top, the sales, if you had one sale, you would get a roll of a dice. Now, the admin is paired with that salesman, so they get to get the same roll of the dice. We do things like that to help create the camaraderie of teamwork. And I don't say, you know, char this, char that. I said the team needs, the team has this opportunity. Shar, you mentioned the roll of the dice where you're pairing up a, a salesperson and an admin person for each sale. I don't quite understand that. What do you mean by roll of the dice? Okay, the roll of the dice is kind of a sales incentive at the end of the month. So if an agent closed three properties that month, they're going to get three rolls of a dice. The rolls of a dice are worth $1. So... If they rolled a six, they get six. If they had three closings and they rolled three sixes, you know, that's $18. And I give them $18 there. Well, the admin person who's paired with that, now they might be paired with two agents, and so they get to choose which agent they want to take their money. And, of course, they're going to choose the one who got the highest rolls, and they get the matching money because we know they wouldn't be able to create their sales and get it closed without the admin person. There's appreciation of the team and the respect of everybody's position. Does that create a lot of excitement for the roll of the dice? Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to do it. <laughs> one of my agents came and said, here's one of my game dice. Let's use that. Well, it's, it's a quadruple size. It's got 38 on it. It's got a 42, and it's got all this kind of stuff. I go, no, it's not that dice. We're going to go with the standard one to six. I can't afford that dice. You've mentioned the sales side of your business. You have three buyer specialists and two listing specialists and also an inside sales associate. What does the inside sales associate do? Making the calls. We have um, Boomtown. We have prime seller leads. 
we get a lot of leads every month, and so they're following up with them, incubating it until appointment. And once they get to the appointment I want to go see, then it's turned over to the buyer's agent or the listing agent. Because where does the agents make their money? It's going out showing and selling, not following up on leads. But how do they get that future business? Somebody's got to be following up on those leads. The inside sales associate is incubating that lead until they're ready to go out and look at homes for a buyer or put their home on the market for a seller. That makes a lot of sense. And then you've got the the buyer and listing specialists. When you're going out to find these people, do you prefer to hire experienced or inexperienced agents? I prefer inexperienced. I do not like the habits that experienced agents bring to the table. Who knows where, who taught them what? And it's hard to get that out of their system. I don't want them to bring that water cooler mentality. We're not about gossip. We're not about complaining and whining. And we want to teach that up front. I want to teach them the proper way to say things. I had an agent that had been in the business for a while, brought him in, and oh my gosh, they kept wanting to revert us all back to the old way of doing things. You know, uh, we need to be doing this. I go, well, you don't need to be doing that. That's not the way that today's buyers are wanting. They don't want to hear about you. They want to hear about them. So you like to bring them in inexperienced and train them correctly in the proper way to do things today. Right. Because if you remember, a lot of agents come into this business, they pass their test, they go to the broker, broker hires them and said, here's your desk. So then they start learning from everybody who's not succeeding because those are the only ones in the office sharing. They have to share their bad experiences and they're learning all these bad habits. I want to get somebody fresh, come right in, and let's show you the right way. Let's talk about how to talk to consumers. Let's how to follow up on leads using LP Mama. Let's go ahead and, and talk about empowering words and how you properly write emails, how you write contracts that's going to protect your, your client. I have had more agents just having conversations with them that my sellers or buyers were prepared to accept or make an offer of X. And after talking to them, I got my clients a better deal because they knew everything. They just spilled the beans on everything. I go, okay, we can go and get a better deal now. So I want to teach those agents the proper way to do it. You just mentioned LP Mama. What is LP Mama? Okay, that is when you're following up on leads. You need to know what to say and how to say it. So LP Mama is, the L is location. So you're calling about the house on XYZ Street. Is that an area you want to live in? And then the next one is T is price. That's listed at 250000 Is that what you want to be? Is that what you want to spend for a house? The next one is motivation. So how soon do you want to be in your new home? In a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being you're ready to go right now, you got to buy the house tomorrow, and 1 is, you know what, I'm just starting to look. Where would you place yourself? The next day is agent. So are you working with an agent? We want to know that up front. We want to know if, if they really have an agent and they're just wanting us to show them so their other agent gets paid. Mortgage. 
that's the next M. Have you talked to a lender? Are you qualified? What are you qualified for? Questions like that. And the last A in MAMA is appointment. You close the appointment. So when would you like to go take a look at this house? Your scripts are one of the keys to success. If I was a brand new agent starting out, I would say, get with the most experienced agent who does a lot of business and trail them or ask them questions. If, if a buyer says this, what would you say? There's a lot of tapes out there. Your series alone has got some great, great scripts. I know Alexis Boland is the queen of scripts. Get her interview here and listen to those scripts. Learn them. Learn them verbatim because it's gonna, that's, that's where the money is at, is knowing what to say and how to say it. Are you profitable? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't. Um, I would say I'm probably a 35% profit. And remember, overhead for me, since I own the business, I have a different landlord than what if you go work for Remax, you have a different landlord. So all that numbers come into play here, the same as anybody else. Well, Shar, what drives you? The win. One of my clients here, we listed a house and we fell in love with the house in the finished product more than consumers did. And we priced it way too high. And finally, after four months, I said, we need to have a win. I've got to have a win. We've got to bring this price down. We've got to sell it because right now I'm not feeling good about this business. We need to win. And so we did. The win is so important to me, and the win to me is getting a house sold for the highest price that the consumer wants or having the buyer purchase at the lowest price that's best for them and then being able to negotiate the best deal. I love it when somebody calls me back and they've made 100000 off the house. To me, that's a win. It's doing the right thing, being there to make a difference in these families' lives, and that is a win to me. Shar, why have you been so successful? That's a hard question to answer because it, it's, a lot of it, it has to do with core belief, believing in yourself. You know, the mind cannot perceive the difference between reality and perceived reality. So when I started out deciding that this is a business, I had to say I was the best. I didn't have a lot of production behind me, but I kept saying, I'm the best choice. I'm the one that they need to do. Every client deserves to have me to represent them. That was mentally what I had to do. And then all of a sudden, my mind was doing the steps that got me to be the best. It was perceiving and, and being open to the possibility of ideas that would let me be the best and, and introducing people into my life that were doing better than me that I can emulate. If you hang around with, with eagles, you're going to soar. But if you sit in the barnyard in the real estate offices with the geese and the chickens, that's what you're going to be. You're going to be laying a lot of eggs. So part of me is just believing in yourself, believing in your abilities, and then going for it. Howard Brenton used to tell the story. He would get up and start his day out, and Babs would tell him every day, you're the best, you're the best. And... I heard Howard. He was the made the difference in, in my career because he opened me up to that glass ceiling. And when he started saying, you're the best, my husband started telling me every day I was the best. And I would leave in the morning and he would say, you're the best, Char. You're the best. And we have just 
built a grit because we started believing we are the best choice. I see too many other realtor signs there, and I drive by them, and I go, and, and it's not egotistical. I truly believe I could have done better for them. I wish they would have chose me. Char, I think you mentioned that you have a referral brokerage. What is that? Well, you've got a lot of people that, like, for example, I have some community leaders that connect with a lot of people. But to legally pay them for giving you bird dog fees, I needed to license them. So license, and they go into my referral company to where I can legally pay them a referral fee. And they have a license that's very cheap. All they have to do is keep up their hours, which you can do online, so it's not an imposition. And I'm legally able to pay bird dog fees to people who will bring me a lot of business. How long have you been running it that way? How long have you had your referral brokerage? I think it's been about hmm, 10 years. How many folks have their license in there in that referral brokerage? I'm very limited to it because I don't want to have the liability of a bunch of people with under my brokerage. But I have between, right now, between five and six. So these are probably your best referrers, and you figured out a way to compensate them for those referrals, uh, getting them licensed, and now they are agents, brokers, and they can legally receive a actual referral fee, a percentage of the transaction, rather than just a thank you. Now, if they give so many referrals, then I will reimburse them their cost of keeping their license. How many referrals do they need to do to meet that? Three. Three a year. If anyone else were listening and they were thinking they wanted to create a branch of their brokerage for just referral brokers, people who don't actually want to transact real estate but want to be part of it, as a, you mentioned, as a bird dog, is there any advice you could give to an agent thinking about setting that up as to what you should look out for? Or maybe there's a pitfall or a problem with it or, or the best way to make it work? There really isn't a whole lot of downside to it. Just check in with your state what their rules are for agents in your office and, and referral-type companies. I think every state allows a non-MLS, non-board, non-national association license. So just check your local state, and then it's just a matter of keeping records. Now, I did an LLC, so and I didn't choose my own name. That was the other thing. I, I, mine is called Referral Services LLC. Is that a separate entity from your sales brokerage? Right. It's a separate entity. I'm the broker, which in my state, you can have be a broker of two companies. And every state is, might be different. So you need to check with your state. That's the key. I also, on my rental management site, I learned a big lesson there. I took my name off that entity because I did not want tenants who didn't get their security deposit back because they trashed it or we evicted them to badmouth me on social media. So now it is a different company than my own name. What's the name of that company? Kansas City Home Rent, LLC. And the only way you know it's mine is the same address. If you Google it, 
it comes up at the same address because that's the mailing address for the company. Char, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting into business, what would you tell them to do first? I would have them treat it as they are opening up their own store. They are opening up their own business. So get a business plan together. Watch your P&L. I would do it monthly, at least starting out. Make decisions based on your business plan, not just opportunities that sound good. Track your numbers. Know how many appointments you need to go on in order to get a listing. And everybody is different. It depends on your price point. So know your local numbers. And believe in yourself. Like I said before, the brain doesn't know the difference in a belief system to what is reality and what is not reality. So your brain will put things in action that's going to make the the steps happen towards success. So believe in your success and you start acting successful. And then be careful of what you associate yourself with, with activities. Facebook today, they are stalking you before they come and have you come out to their house. They're wanting to know what you say on Facebook. You know, I, I stay away from any political comments. I learned that lesson a long time ago from a friend of mine when I first started with Facebook. He taught me that a lesson. I liked something about Chick-fil-A. Well, it was such a big controversial, and this person was gay, and he said, I, I'm really offended by you liking that Chick-fil-A. Well, what I was liking was my local businessman who I knew was being targeted for sales that he had nothing to do with it. He owns the local business. But I learned a lesson that when you like something, it's perceived to, to all your friends. I didn't know it was at that time. So be careful what you say. Don't be negative. Just be positive. Share something about you, but nothing too personal. Do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Oh, absolutely. That's how I got started with Howard Brenton. And he had that agent of the month. And that's where it was gold to me. I would get, at that time, it was tape, cassette tape, and I would get it and I would just devour it. I would sit there and listen and and get little points. I would do little twists on things. But yes, there's opportunities in front of you, but if you don't hear them, you can't implement them. And the key to all this is you take this data, you take what's shared, and you implement it. Well, Shar, I've come to the end of the questions that I have for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Don't be afraid of opportunities. Embrace change. Go for it, even if you don't think you're at that level. Reach for it, because you'll never grow until you start reaching upwards. Well, Shar, you've reached high, embraced change, and welcomed opportunities. You demonstrated tenacity by working part-time your first 10 years in real estate. You forged and maintained relationships that are the foundation of your success. You showed leadership, building and running a team. You opened up yourself to opportunities working with bulk investors, starting a property management division, and doubling your investors' rental income. You found a solution with your referral brokerage. 
Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 113 homes last year worth $68 million selling high-end desert homes. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.